Okay, so we've got a couple of uh, text messages to get through. Uh, first of all, the quiet majority, you are right, the public has been bullied into silence. We haven't seen anything yet. Do you realise that the truth as it is in Jesus will make your skin thick and you'll be able to cope with negative comments? Love heals. I'm so glad that sooner or later the truth will triumph. And, you know, when we talk about the concept of, you know, people saying bad things on our social media feed, the Bible says there's coming a time when people will kill you thinking they do God's service. So, yes, I don't think we've seen anything yet in this country. In other countries, they already do that, mm-hmm. um, sadly. But we kind of feel insulated from it in Australia. Mm. Anyway, the uh, on the Southern, Southern Baptist Convention, we have this one. Uh, when we let go of Jesus and his truth, we let go of everything. It is Satan's job to crush us under fear, worries and anxiety. When hope is gone, all is gone. Um, yeah, great comment right there. I've got more text messages coming through as 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 I'm reading these ones. <laughs> okay, it's interesting to know that many of the brown shirts in Hitler's regime were actually homosexual. That's an interesting one. Oof. I know there's a very strong case to say that uh, Hermann Goering was homosexual. I've certainly heard that a lot. Mm. It seems that it wasn't. Uh, it was it was a bit of a case of uh, who you know. In any of these like hyper violent regimes, there's always stuff like that. Yeah, there's there's always double standards, <sighs> like because there's always a upper class. Anyways, yep. Uh, objective morality is imprinted in our DNA by God Himself. Our conscience will tell you in a second if you have done wrong. That's an interesting thought. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. And a, a very good, very good comment right there. Okay, uh, okay, coming in from a listener to help us out on Aholiab. Here we go. Aholiab was one of the two artisans that worked on the temple. There you go. So Nita texting that one through. So there's Aholiab. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Man, he would have worked. It would have been Aholiab and, yeah, somebody needs to bring Bezalil. that one back. And Bezalel, that's right. Mm-hmm. Bezalel mm. was the more famous one. Mm. Aholiab, I guess, was his... Sidekick, apprentice, or maybe workshop foreman. Mm. Maybe put him down as workshop foreman. <laughs> the interesting thing was actually the the spirit of God, which gave them the ability to be creative, and that's pretty amazing. You know, mm. it's not only do you have morality from God, objective morality, but you we also have creative powers from God as well, and that's that's pretty cool. That's pretty exciting. A lot of people who are tradies do not realise that the ability to be able to be an artisan like that is a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's incredible. 100%. Mm. Yeah, just to go out and build amazing stuff. Fantastic. Okay, so those are our text messages. I think that's all of our messages come through. Uh, Not seeing any more coming through from Producer Shell. So we will go on, and I just want to remind you all that starting this Friday, do join us at, or do join me, at Logan Reserve. So this Friday evening, Logan Reserve Adventist Church, uh, where I will be doing a series uh, for the week and uh, heading into the next weekend on the book of Daniel, which, of course, is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. So I'm super looking forward to it. It's called Belteshazzar, Babylon's Grand Vizier. And I'm going to argue that out of all of the prime ministers who ever reigned, Daniel was probably the greatest of them all and the most influential, definitely the most influential, because... Out of the ancient prime ministers, name another one who wields the same level of influence that Daniel does today. Ooh. And the same effect that there is on the world today. There's a challenge for you. 
Mm-hmm. All right, so that's why I'm going to be arguing he was the greatest prime minister that, or grand vizier, as they would term them in the Middle East. So that's what that series will be all about. We're going to be looking into the history, so a biological, historical uh, look at the book of Daniel as well as getting into the uh, prophecies. Okay, so yesterday I did put out a challenge in relationship to the seven last plagues. So the seven last plagues came up as a just a random discussion point. And so this was my challenge. And I'll be interested to uh, to hear what everybody else has to say. We've had we've had one person. I was hoping we would get some more discussion on this, so I'm going to put it out again. See if we can get some more discussion. Um, but my question was this: What is God's purpose in the seven last plagues? Mm. That's my question. So we're talking about the seven last plagues, not in Egypt, but no. of the world. Yes, in Revelation that take place. After salvation has finished, while Jesus is coming back, but before Jesus returns, in that little gap there. So after probation has closed, which is a theological term to say that, you know, salvation is finished, Jesus is on his way back to this earth, uh, everything's all over, and the seven last plagues fall in there. What is God's purpose? What does it accomplish? I'm certainly not say, going to say that it's it's um, God just meeting out his wrath and lashing out at these wicked people on just earth. Just backhanding them. Backhanding them, just getting them back for, for all of the, the pain that they've caused in terms of just his anger. Okay. Can I answer this question? Well, I'm hoping that our listeners will send it. Well, I've, I've got one. I've got one from yesterday. Uh-huh. I'm hoping that more of our listeners, and then we can read a few of them through, hundred percent, yeah, and yeah, have yeah, a discussion yeah. on it. Yeah, no, that's cool. Okay, so let me let me take this one step further. Mm-hmm. Would it be fair to say? I ask you guys here in the studio. Would it be fair to say that everything that God does comes from Him being, as in God, being a God of love? Definitely, yes. Okay, so then. We have to ask ourselves the question, how do the seven last plagues demonstrate God's love? So is it God uh, giving them another chance? Is there another chance for salvation? I would say not. And the reason I would say not is because the prelude to the seven last plagues in Revelation uh, chapter 15 is that the Bible says the temple is filled with smoke. No one can go in there. Probation is closed. It's over. Mm. Ah, mm-hmm. Interesting question. All right, so maybe we will come back to this at the end of the show. Maybe we will start tomorrow's show with it. We will see how we go, but I want to hear from you as our listeners on this thought. I want to hear what your thoughts are. We've got one listener who has texted through, but I'd like to hear from more of you. I know that there's some great Bible They're students staring. out there. Yeah. And, I'm, I'm, I'm this, and, and if if you need some time to work on it, then feel free to text through any time after the show is over. Mm. Yeah. And, Lyle, I'm just going to throw it in there. We're asking, what's the objective morality of the seven last plagues? Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. What is the objective morality in the seven uh, last plagues? Is there, are there any objective moral, moral values yeah. associated with the seven last plagues? Absolutely, absolutely. Mm. So maybe if we, if we get a few text messages, we'll come back and visit this at the end of the show. If we don't, we're going to leave it for one more day. But I really do want you guys to go away and do some thinking and head scratching mm. and some study on this one. It's an important question, of course, because if God is just backhanding the last generation of wicked people, 
Mm. I mean, why didn't he backhand Hitler and Pol Pot and Stalin? We mentioned them earlier. Mm. But if it's God just, you know, lashing out and backhanding and being angry and it's like, ah, whack, mm. then how does that demonstrate a God of love? And, of course, we, like, initially we were like, oh, you know, this is a, this is a pretty difficult question, like, just to, just to put out there to people. There is a lot of thinking that needs to go into it. So yes. we are being gracious. Bible study. We are giving you time. We are right. challenging you. Mm-hmm. Okay, where are we going? We're going to our Bible study time, and we are looking at the subject of the Sabbath before Sinai. This is kind of picking up from where we were yesterday. So I'm going to do a quick review of what we looked at yesterday. We were looking at the origin of the Sabbath yesterday, and we found the origin of the Sabbath is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 2 and 3. Uh, where the Bible mentions the Sabbath and tells us that the Sabbath was sanctified. We looked at the word sanctified, which means set apart for a holy use. Yes. You don't set something apart for a holy use and then not use it. Mm -hmm. And, of course, people say, well, how could they rest when they were in Eden? Well, God set them in Eden to work. Mm. Human beings function best when they are busy and they are working. And so the Sabbath has been a day of rest, but more than that. You're listening to Faith FM. Positively different radio. Okay, so the question that then comes up next is we understand why Adam and Eve would need a day of rest because God set them to work, but what about God? This is, the, Bible says, the Bible says God rested. This is one of my favourite things to talk about, actually. Was, was God exhausted? Like, no. Okay, I've got two guys here that are just sort of sitting on the edge of their chair, yeah. itching to say something. <laughs> well, the, the thing is in the, in the creation account in, in Genesis 1, uh, which is one of my favourite parts of the Bible, I must, must say, uh, the thing is this, is uh, if we go to Genesis um, chapter uh, 1 and verse, uh, verse 3, it just says, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. The, the, the theme through here is that creation is effortless on God's part. God just speaks and it, it occurs. Yes. Mm. So there's no exertion. You know, he's not sweating his way through uh, the creation week. Uh, God, God just um, speaks and, and things appear. It's, it's incredible. It's, mm. it's, it's like our human work week, but it's fundamentally different at the same time. Okay, so it's going to be a very different experience for God keeping the Sabbath than it is for Adam and Eve keeping the Sabbath. Mm. We can understand because we work a you know six-day week and then have a day of rest. We love our weekends. We look forward to our weekends mm. uh, or our other times off, depending on you know what our work schedule is and so forth. So why would, you know, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 2 and 3, it doesn't actually mention Adam resting, even though clearly he did because he spent that day with God. Why would God rest? I, I love this question. Um, I, I feel like, you know, why, why does God need rest is directly linked to the question, well, who is the Sabbath for? Right. Is it, is it for humanity? Is it for God? Um, and, and that, that's like where we're coming at when we ask the question, like where we're coming from when we ask the question, oh, w- you know, why does God need, need rest? Because it could seem like from every single side that God wouldn't need rest. He's, yes. As he said, he speaks and it comes into existence. He just is. He is the infinite God with all power and all might and all knowledge. And why, so why is it that he needs to take a rest? In fact, there are people who would say, you know, because God is outside of time and space, that, like, why would he even, he even put a rest in time? Because he's, he, that wouldn't even affect him in any way because he exists outside of a time of rest. 
So, who is the Sabbath for? Like, that's, that's where I really Okay, so what's your Bible verse for who the Sabbath is for? Um, I would suggest Mark 2, 27 and 28. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Why don't you read it Yeah, us? okay, let's go, let's go, let's go. Um, dude, Mark 2, 27 28. Oh, Jesus is so amazing. I love what Jesus has to say on the Sabbath um, because it is so just clear. It, it really reveals how good God is in giving us the Sabbath. So Mark 2, uh, 27 and 28, the Bible says, Then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son, uh, so the son uh, of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Man, this translation. Uh, but it, it, in essence, is yeah. saying the right thing. Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Uh-huh. I think Therefore, the thing from my, pers- the from my perspective, what God is doing in Genesis chapter 1 is he's leading by example. Mm, yes. Mm-hmm. And that is the most powerful form of, of moral authority or moral enforcement or whatever you want to call it, which is this, is that you show me, you, you lead by how what you do. And, and the question is, what was, what was God leading? What, why was he giving us this example? And I believe that the fact is he was showing us that our value as human beings is based on who we are in relation to him. Mm-hmm. Our relationship to him is, is the key to our value. It is not on what we do. And, and as human beings, we so often get that mixed up. We, you know, when I first meet you, uh, one of the first things I will do as a, as a guy, it's a very masculine thing, is, you know, what do you do? You know, That's what's right. your work? That's how we identify each other. And and if we don't have work and we're unemployed, and, and I can certainly recognize the very big challenges with that, we, we feel our, our value has just, you know, been eroded away. Mm-hmm. Whereas what God is saying is, no, you are valuable because of who you are in relationship with me, and you can rest in that, that value. And that's what the one of the powerful things about the Sabbath Mm. This is what I see, and I just sort of put myself in God's shoes, and these are just my thoughts on it. So God has created the world, and he's created human beings, and he decides to rest for that first Sabbath day with uh, you know here on this earth. So what is he actually going to do on earth during that first Sabbath day? Well, he's going to hang out with Adam and Eve. Mm. Mm. Relationships. That's 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 what he's going to. That's what all of us would do. It's like, what do you want to do? Wander around a world and just look at stuff all day? No. If there's human beings there, if there are people that you can commune with, and especially if they are people that you have just created, it's a little bit mm. like any time you know you or I we build something and we made it ourselves. We want to then interact with that thing that we made. Mm. You know, if 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 you do some uh, like, for instance, you know, if I modify a car and I, you know. I get a four-wheel drive and I put a lift kit in and I put lockers in and I put crawler gears in all that kind of stuff. The first thing I want to do is go out and spend time with that vehicle and see how it performs and have, you know, just... But there, you know, there's really no comparison to that. Imagine if you had just created a human being. Mm. But I'm going to throw a spanner in the work, Lyle. That, it doesn't say that in the Bible. No. Uh, it just says he rested on the Sabbath. It does. So may, maybe he was a deistic kind of God. You know, he just wound up the universe... Uh, saw that it was good and then kind of left it to to carry on and, and um, he was going off to other projects in in the multiverse um, or the universe and he didn't spend time with Adam and Eve uh, so so where where do you get this idea that God actually spent time with Adam and Eve on the Sabbath mm. okay so a text message coming through on this and Bruce says that he stood back to be still and know and take in what he had created oh 
So maybe that goes along with what you're saying right there, um, Sven. Because I, I think you're on, on the right track, Lyle, though. But, but the key, key thing is that, that we, need to, we need to dive into even the next chapter, yes. um, or, or chapter 2 and chapter 3, to find out that, that God was very involved. He, he wasn't just walking away, uh, just kind of leaving this universe to, to run like a clock. Um, he was very relational. Absolutely. So you've got that uh, whole relational aspect in the creation of man where God doesn't speak man into existence. He forms him out of the dust of the ground. Shapes him. Shapes him. And then he divides man and you've got woman uh, that, that, you know, that comes out of that whole creation. You then have the first relationship that he creates with the marriage mm. relationship. Then you've got God walking in, in the, the garden, garden in the cool of the, the evening. evening. Looking for them. Mm. This is this is this is a very very deep and personal and close relationship. Yes. Okay. We need to move on in our Bible study uh, because we are starting to get some text messages coming through on the subject of the seven last plagues. So we're going to come back to it in this study. We're going to talk about it today because we are getting some text messages come through, and we would like to hear from you. So please send us your thoughts through on God's purpose in the last plagues. What is God's purpose in the last plagues? We're going to talk about it. Let's go to Exodus chapter sixteen and. Verse 23. Let's start right there. Exodus chapter 16 and verse 23. The Bible says, He told them, This is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow will be a day of complete rest, the holy Sabbath day set apart for the Lord. So bake or boil as much as you want today and set aside what is left for tomorrow. Okay, so let me summarize very quickly what the Bible is talking about here. The uh, the Israelites are in the wilderness. There is no food in the wilderness. God has provided food in the form of manna, which uh, comes with the dew overnight. They collected each morning. Uh, come Friday, there was twice as much. And God says, take twice as much, preserve it for tomorrow, because tomorrow there won't be any. It is the Sabbath day, a time of worship. Why is God, why is God making this announcement at this particular time in this particular scenario? Does it indicate that the Sabbath had not existed up until this point? Oh, like, like no. Like, as in, yes, like it had existed up until this point. Okay, because it was given at creation. Mm-hmm. This is kind of the next reference to the Sabbath we find in the Bible. Though. Mm. We have to remember, though, that the Israelites had been slaves in Egypt for f- over 400 years. And they, they had been really immersed in Egyptian culture. And religion. And religion. Uh, they had lost a lot of their faith in God. They, they were grumbling, as you read in the chapters around this, this uh, verse. And so God had to do a lot of reminding. Remember the Sabbath day. It's why, the, it's why when he comes to the Sabbath commandment in Exodus 20, it's the one that starts with remember because that was the one that they had forgotten. Mm. Mm. And he's reminding them of something that had existed previously. So much more we could talk about on this subject, but I think we're going to come back and talk about our question on the plagues. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. By Doug Batchelor. Okay, so we threw out a curveball for you guys, and here it comes. Uh, That is the seven last plagues. Mm. It's after salvation has ended. Okay, so it's not for the salvation of anyone. It's before Jesus comes back. They're pretty horrific. Mm-hmm. What is God's purpose and how does it reveal God's love? Mm. That was our question. And we've got some thoughts coming through. 
Uh, you want to hear them? Yeah. Okay. Right. We're waiting. We're at the end of our seat. All right. Here we go. Uh, are the last plagues when God removes his protection, protection ju- thus showing the effect of his love? Ooh. That's a really interesting one. You know, is is it basically God stepping back? He he removes his protection. Like, well, this is what would the world would look like, and this is what would happen if I wasn't protecting the world. Mm. That's a very very. That was the that was the one that just came through just now, but a really good one right there. Okay, let me see what else have we got. Is it to protect while also at the same time justifying his children? So there's an interesting thought because the Bible talks about tremendous persecution against God's people just before the return of Christ. And uh, I guess this person is asking the question, are the plagues a massive distraction to keep evil people busy so that they can't go after God's people during this period? Uh, continues on here, says, I do not believe God is doing it to be cruel or to be vengeful, but I do believe he is repaying, do what, doing what we cannot do for ourselves and should not choose for ourselves but his strange act. Um, that, so we've got that one. Then we've got another one here. Uh, what was God's purpose for the plagues in Egypt? Would it be the same for the last plagues? Mm. I'd, I'd say there's two different purposes. And then we have another one. Uh, let me just find this other one. Oh, I've got so many text messages coming through <laughs> left, right and centre. I can't keep up with them all. Oh, please. Get you in the game. Where yes, is this? Yes, 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 yes. Okay, the seven last plagues in their fairness. You have, they have rejected the love and sacrifice of Jesus. They have abused and martyred many of his followers, have forced the world to keep uh, false Sabbath, have rejected the Holy Spirit and have achieved unpardonable sin. Demons have total control of the unrepentant. And as God had to destroy the antediluvian world because of their thoughts and deeds, were evil continually, so he has no choice but to judge them accordingly. Uh, and we've got this one here. Um, Jesus helps us to face up to the pain and hurt we cause others once we give ourselves to Jesus. It is hard and cruel, but a beautiful truth that prepares us for God. Those who refuse deserve to know before they go forever. So quite a... Um, Bit of a spectrum. Yeah, a full spectrum right here of mm. thoughts on the seven last plagues. And I'm going to agree with some of these thoughts and disagree with others. Mm-hmm. That's where I'm at. Whereabouts are you guys at? Yeah, yeah, in a similar place. I guess I'd say the question is that there's kind of three parties here. So, so first of all, there's you have God. Yes. Then you have God's people. Yes. The, the, um, uh, the people who are saved. Um, and then you have the wicked, the unrepentant wicked. And in that, with those three different parties, shall I say, the question is, uh, is there any benefit or value in the seven last plagues for any or all of them? And I, I from listening to these um, text messages, I'm hearing that people are focusing on different aspects um, mm. And there is there's a full broad spectrum of ideas coming through here. Mm. So maybe, maybe it's for the benefit of God's people, kind of a protection uh, to hold back the 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 um, the wicked. Maybe it's for the wicked uh, themselves for some reason, and then maybe there's some value for for God as well. And that's what we kind of have to work out yes. uh, what's happening here. And and perhaps there's there's another group as well, which is the angels. 
the the um, angels in heaven or the inhabitants of other beings, um, and they're not directly connected with this this battle in terms of being um, at risk, shall I say? Um, but we could also think of them as well. So perhaps working through it systematically would be really good. Mm. Okay, so here's a couple of thoughts that I'm going to share. And, uh, and then you guys can go for it. First of all, I like the idea, the concept that this is a demonstration of what happens when God's Holy Spirit is completely removed from the world. Mm-hmm. That the universe gets to see, okay, if there is no God, this is the result. I think that was a very good comment that somebody sent through right there. Um, the concept of the distraction, I'd never thought of that one, you know. Distracting them, you know, keeping them busy with the seven last plagues so that God's people can be protected. Interesting thought. Um, mm. Don't have a huge objection to that one either. Here's, here's my thoughts. Okay, so God has closed probation. He has closed salvation. It is over. The, nobody can enter into the temple until the plagues are finished. Intercession has, you know, has come to an end. So we're not talking about some kind of purgatory where you can sort of clean no. up the wicked and then they can no, sneak no. in the back door. No, this is, this is not for the purpose of saving anyone. Okay, so if it's not for the purpose of saving anyone, then what purpose is served by it? God has done this, and God has done this because he can read the hearts and minds of men. Mm. He's the only person who can. Everybody else just has to trust him. Now, whenever we, have, whenever we see crisis, we see people turning to God. You know, Even in the COVID crisis, we've seen lots of people turning to God. Even though the churches might not be full, lots of people have been tur- turning to God. So whenever there is crisis, that is where people go. They're old saying there are no atheists in foxholes. Uh, and really what God is saying is, he's saying, I've closed probation because there is nobody left on earth who in any circumstances, even in the most extreme, would ever give their life to me. In other words, I have not made an arbitrary decision to close probation. I've closed yep. probation mm-hmm. because there's, there's nobody left that will ever give their life to me. And to demonstrate that, these plagues are going to happen and that's going to be a demonstration to the entire universe that the decision that I have made is just and right and timely because it doesn't matter how extreme it gets, all they're going to do is curse and blaspheme God's name. Mm. I love the person who wrote in, uh, you know, what was the per- purpose of the plagues in Egypt? Now, they took a little bit of a different view on it, but it, it very mm. much relates to what you're saying there because it's like with the plagues in Egypt, we saw we it ultimately proved that... Pharaoh wouldn't change, yes, and he didn't change. It ultimately proved that God's people would stay close to him. But what we saw in the plagues, too, is a number of Egyptians give their life to God. A very large number. And it was because of the plagues. Like, that was the A1 purpose of the plagues, was to show Pharaoh, like, to reveal to everyone, like, okay, there's going to be destruction that's going to be brought upon Egypt and Pharaoh specifically, and and this is how it's going like, to play out. Because, and the reason I'm justified in doing so is because... Like this is where this guy is at. Okay, so salvation was an issue with the with the Egyptian one, which it isn't with the end time one. But as a demonstration of Pharaoh's close of probation, then there's definitely a parallel. Yeah, Doctor Sven, you don't want to have a final word for us on the plagues. I was just thinking also putting in context of the larger picture, which is of course right at the end we have the final judgment. You have the the massive army of 
of mm. Satan with his with his de- demonic angels and and the wicked as well. You got a new Jerusalem, and, and you know it's just halted there before the the great white throne and the judgment, and it becomes very very clear. You are making this choice. You are choosing not to be part of this. Um, and and that's your your final choice, but the 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 plagues and, and so maybe you could ask um, and this is what's been running through my mind a little bit maybe you could say well you kind of get that process in the final judgment scene in in Revelation twenty why do you need the seven last plagues if you already have that kind of you know confirmation and I believe it it has to do it's connected with the idea of the investigative judgment in in this way in that there's a process through which we make decisions and the the, the plagues are a demonstration these people are are committed making a choice not to believe in God and it shows through this process mm. right through to the very end yes yeah, it gives us a view from every single angle it's whether it's crisis or blessing God leaves no stone unturned. Mm-hmm. No stone unturned to vindicate uh, his character and to vindicate the concept of a government of love. Mm. Fantastic thoughts, guys. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Ooh. Question of the day. All right, Lyle, our question of the day is, it comes from Raphael, and it says, Can you explain the second commandment in relation to no graven images? I have a son-in-law who won't watch movies with images of Jesus in them, saying it is a graven image. Okay, so the Bible says in Exodus chapter 20, You shall not make unto you any carved image or any likeness. So a likeness is, that's a picture or a painting or whatever it might be, of anything that is in heaven above or is in earth beneath or that is in the water or under the earth. Okay, so the Bible, when, when the commandment is given right here in relationship to graven images or carved images or likenesses, is not actually referring to just likenesses of God or of Jesus. Mm. It's referring to a likeness of anything at all. So you can't even draw stick figures you know, on a cave wall uh, according to the uh, reading of the commandment as I have read it so far. But I haven't finished reading the commandment because it says, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them and nor serve them. And that's the key issue right here. The issue in the second commandment is not an issue over images uh, just on their own. It's an issue over images in the context of worship. And this varies tremendously. Now, when you talk to a pagan who has images, they will all admit very, very freely and always have done right throughout history that the piece of gold or clay or wood or whatever it is that they are looking at is not actually a living being. It's like, no, we actually made that. It is a representation of the living being that we worship. And so that's what we're talking about. We're talking about images that are used in worship as a representation of that which is being worshipped. What this commandment is not referring to is other images outside of that context. Okay, so other images that are outside of that context, um, they are, you know, we, we, we see them on the television or photographs on our wall or on our, on our phone or whatever it might be, uh, and there's no issue with those at all because those are not objects of worship. Now, how do we know that this is the case? The reason that we know that this is the case is because of... The well, one of the examples that we could use would be the um, the image of the snake, the serpent that Moses built in the wilderness. 
Now, this was not an image of worship. It was definitely an image of something that God had created. And that image, after it was used in the wilderness, that was where God performed miracles to heal the people from snake bites. It was then placed in the temple. And it was kept there for many, 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 many years, hundreds of years even, until eventually the Israelites, at one particular point of their apostasy, the Jews went into apostasy. They took that serpent on a pole out of the temple, placed it in the courtyard of the temple. They worshipped it. And as soon as it became an object of worship, God said, destroy it. Mm. So that's the issue with images, the issue of, with images is objects of worship. It's not just images, just in and of themselves. It's objects of worship. Now, of course, looking at a TV show, uh, there are you know a number of different thoughts on this one. One of the things that I'm kind of leery on with TV shows about Jesus or other aspects of the Bible is that, for me personally, I don't like the idea of having some random human actor's face stuck in my head as my picture of who Jesus is because it's never going to come close and no script will ever come close to the reality of Jesus Christ. Mm. Uh, So, yeah, there's a few thoughts to uh, think about in relationship to images and it's fine to have your family photos on the wall and so forth. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.